It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the mind of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Gessman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. I'm your host, Josh Gessman, coming to you on Monday, August 27th. A, after a 1-1 draw with LAFC on Friday night, it may feel like it was forever ago, but it was just Friday night. We have a bunch to talk about about that game, including post-game comments that were made, uh, the Galaxy dropping points, but still winning the season series. That's something we're for sure going to talk about. And then, of course, Galaxy getting ready for Real Salt Lake. And while we'll have a full preview of that game on Thursday, we are going to get into that a little bit tonight here as well because it's an interesting matchup for all of us. Also have some calls that will come through as well. So we have a very packed show ready and willing to get you updated on your LA Galaxy. And in order to help me do that, the ever-fearless Mr. Kevin Baxter is uh, back with us. Kevin, how's it going, buddy? All right, how are you? I am doing good. It's a, uh, it's a new week. Uh, it seems like that game was played perhaps three weeks ago, uh, LA Galaxy versus LAFC. Friday night games are weird. Um, I, basically, any game that's not Saturday for me, Kevin, is, is a weird game. Well, and LAFC had Laurent Simon on their roster at that point, not in uniform, but uh, that's how long ago that was. Yeah, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, so long ago, right? Well, now that it looks like he's going to Dijon in the uh, in in the French league. By the way, you'll never guess Dijon's nickname is the Mustards. The Mustards. <laughs> it makes perfect sense to me. That, that yeah. makes uh, perfect sense. But I mean, the Galaxy even even starting out a little fortunate to have that little break of of not having to face Simon, who I'm sure would have been up to just absolutely trounce the LA Galaxy. Well, he definitely would have been out to uh, to get. He's their physical mid, uh, the center back. He was the guy that I think would have spent most of his day marking Zlatan. I don't know if it would have changed the outcome. But one thing that he likes to do is he likes to cheat forward a little bit. He's very aggressive. He, he gambles a lot. The Galaxy might might have wound up staying on a second goal on a, on a counterattack and, and might have won that game. Um, but in any case, you mentioned this earlier. I think you sent it to me on a text message or maybe it was on Twitter. I have to give you credit for this. I didn't realize this, but this is really a good stat. The Galaxy were winless in August. This is the start of their playoff drive. This is actually the ease, this is the soft underbelly of their schedule. Right. Uh, you know, in in the, the the end of July, early August, they had Orlando City, Colorado, Minnesota, Colorado again. Wow, oh two and three, three points, and that's the start of the playoff push. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a little shocking, actually, to me whenever I was doing uh, getting ready for a preview for Real Salt Lake, and I like to do it early in the week, so that way I can start tracking news and everything else that you sort of see on, uh, you know, that we put out in, in the different previews and stuff like that. And so I started looking. I went to the form guide, which is one of my favorite guides, by the way, that MLS puts out. If you go to the standings page and you click on the form guide, it shows you, you know, wins, loss, draws, draws and it does it color-coded, so that way you can easily see patterns. And what I did was just go back to say, oh, the last win the Galaxy had was, oh, wait a minute, the last last win the Galaxy had was in July, July 29th. Oh, so they didn't win in all of August, and their next game is in September, so that means no wins in August. I go, that's something I think we all missed. And so, yeah, the Galaxy didn't get a win in August, and again, only three points to sort of move them anywhere near uh, playoff contention or to keep it in playoff contention. I should say they're in sixth place right now as we stand, Kevin, with a bunch of teams still having some games in hand on them. So, it's a it's a delicate position for the Galaxy to be in because they're going to be not playing some of these games. Now, that does mean 
and I should point out quickly because I think people forget this, that those other teams, Kevin, are going to have a little bit more of a condensed schedule than the Galaxy. So you would hope that L.A. is able to sort of rest and do well in their last seven games while the rest of the teams play eight or possibly even nine or ten games, I think, with Portland still having three or four games in hand. Yeah, uh, Portland does have a big advantage in the number of games played. Uh, there are the international breaks coming up, which uh, the Galaxy are going to get rest during both of those, first week in September, first week of October. That's going to help them a little bit. The Galaxy are a little bit of an older team, you know, veteran guys like Zlatan and, and Ashley Cole. Um, and so it, it really comes at a good time for them. But, again, you know, that stat, I just can't get I help but looking back at the schedule. And if you go back even further, if you go back to mid-June, you know, when – the Galaxy played San Jose and DC United, Columbus, New England, Philadelphia. I mean, that was, you know, Colorado twice, Minnesota. That's when the Galaxy should have been piling up points. Instead, they go winless. And now look what they finish with. You know, their last seven games, they have Real Salt Lake, which is just on a tear. They have Seattle, which is unbeaten in their last nine, seven straight wins. They have Vancouver, which is in the playoff race. Um, I think they go back to uh, Real Salt Lake, or it's, excuse Sporting. me, Sporting Kansas City. Yep. They go there where they never win. And then they end the season with Houston, which is at home. But And Houston is not having a great season, but they generally give the even at home. So This is not an easy schedule. The one thing that I think you could look at and say maybe take a little bit of uh, consolation from is the Galaxy. Uh, we've talked about this before, even going back to the Bruce Arena years. The Galaxy always seem to play to their competition, meaning if they're playing a weaker team, they seem to play down to their level. If they're playing a good team, they seem to play up to their level. The Galaxy are going to have to step it up now because – there is no margin for error. They cannot go winless in September and hope to be anywhere near the playoffs. Yeah, it, it is It is going to be interesting, and we're going to get your picks for that uh, coming up here in, in just a little bit. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about those remaining stretch games, the last seven games for the LA Galaxy. We'll talk about playoff standings and everything else. But the game against LAFC was, I don't know, eye-opening for me, Kevin. Uh, I saw an LA Galaxy team play, uh, I think, their best game of the year. Uh, maybe not finishing-wise, but everything else, and especially defensively. I saw a physically dominating LA Galaxy team with a midfield that was, for the most part, pretty smothering. Um, I know that there was some talk about uh, some reporters saying, oh, but LAFC had the better chances towards the end. Yes, they did, and uh, I think the Galaxy may have been a, a little fortunate and then also completely unlucky. The Galaxy probably should have scored three or four goals in the first half uh, to really put the game away. Tyler Miller came up with some good saves for LAFC. Uh, I thought that the Galaxy pressured very well. I thought that they found Zlatan in dangerous areas, and he missed uh, two goals or, or two shots that I, I would have expected him to do a little bit better with. Um, but this was after uh, after everything was said and done uh, in the Galaxy locker room, Kevin. This was a game that w felt like a loss to them. And I know that's going to come a little bit strange, especially with, you know, sort of the way that they played. But they scored first, Kevin. Uh, you know, outside of the penalty kick that they gave away to uh, Carlos Vela there, Perry Kitchen with the slide. Outside of the penalty kick, David Bingham wasn't asked to do too much. Came up with a huge save. Um, you know, Daniel Starris came into the game and made a huge block. So you had those sort of different storylines arcing through it. And again, LAFC looked dangerous towards the end and, and better in the second half, but the Galaxy feel like they should have won that game. Uh, they, they acted that way whenever they were in the locker room. They talked that way. Zlatan Ibrahimovic utterly disgusted that they couldn't find a goal and said that it was an easy game. He goes, he tell, he'll tell us whenever it's difficult, Kevin. He'll tell us whenever it's impossible. He'll tell us all those things, but this game, he's going to tell us, was an easy game. Well, I don't know if it was their best game of the year. It certainly was their best first half. And by the way, for anyone counting, 
27,068. That apparently is the new capacity uh, for soccer, at least, at the Step Up Center. That's what the Galaxy lists as the attendance for both of the LAFC games. So that's what they're calling a, a, a sellout capacity crowd now. But one of the things Ziggy talked about uh, many times in the week leading up to the game was how the Galaxy could not concede the first goal. If, remember in the first two games, the first game they gave up a goal in the fifth minute to, to Carlos Vela. The second game they gave up a goal to Vela in the seventh minute. Right. Ziggy said, no, we can't do that anymore. And that clearly was the focus of that defense. It was, like you said, it was physical. It was hardworking. Uh, they hustled. And I, and I think that could uh, be one explanation of why uh, LAFC seemed to be so much more dangerous late in the game. You know, Ziggy did not empty his bench necessarily. I don't think there were a whole lot of substitutions on the defensive end of things. And I think those guys just got wore out. They were working pretty hard. Uh, Dave Romney, you know, really physical. I think more physical than I've seen him play ever. Um, you know, really getting in there and mixing it up. And and you're right, the defensive effort, this was something that people had maligned them for all season, especially the last month. And those guys really stepped up and played really well. And again, Ziggy's plan, we're going to be aggressive from the start. We're going to attack from the start. We're not going to give up the first goal. You know, we're going to, to try to get the lead and then hold it. That all seemed to work out pretty well. Yeah, it did. And uh, we have to remember the LA Galaxy, of course, started this game without four starters again, Kevin. Uh, no designated players, Ramon Alessandrini, Jonathan Dos Santos, Giovanni Dos Santos, all out with injury. Uh, Jonathan Dos Santos was supposedly a very close game time decision. Uh, it was something that they apparently agonized over or at least discussed as it was coming closer to game time. Um, and then that eventually just didn't happen. Um, so uh, Jonathan Dos Santos should be, and I think everybody's pointing to this game against Real Salt Lake uh, as his return, and that seems very likely. Roman Alessandrini seems like a possibility uh, to also make it back for the Real Salt Lake uh, game. Michael Ciani is the only one we haven't mentioned, um, and so we'll see if he can make it back. I think uh, Giovanni Dos Santos still a little ways away, at least from the initial diagnosis of what they uh, they diagnosed him with a, qu- a quad strain, a grade two quad quad strain. So we'll see if he recovers from that. But the LA Galaxy without three designated players again for this game again at StubHub Center again um, you know lots of sort of flashbacks here and, and I said it in my Thursday show before this game Kevin I said the LA Galaxy would get blown out in this game and the main reason that I thought they would is I just didn't think that they had the weapons to be able to compete with LAFC. And I think maybe that did eventually end up being true in terms of why the Galaxy couldn't get the win. I felt like Giovanni Dos Santos would have been a great addition to this lineup and would have really added some serious danger in that offensive third. I mean, outside of Ola Kamara working as hard as I've ever seen him work and trying to find stuff for Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Chris Pontius running back and forth, Ashley Cole on the left-hand side running back and forth. And the, the lineup switch here is very, very important. For the most part, Kevin, this is the, the a similar lineup to what you saw against Seattle outside of Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And yes, Zlatan brings a totally different look than Ima Boateng does. I get it, 100%. Everybody knows that, okay? Um, but the real changes here, moving Ashley Cole out of the center back position and into that left wing back position and dropping Dave Romney back into that into that center back position. So your center backs ended up being Dave Romney, Jorgen Shelvick, and Rolf Felcher. And Felcher playing a, you know, a, a right back slash center back in that three-man back line and combining with Chris Pontius was um, amazing to see as well. And, and Rolf Felcher, I think, had the tackle of the game there, Kevin, whenever he decided to uh, to 
arm. I don't even know. He he tripped Rossi so hard. I I think everybody in the press box felt it um, at one point. So there's a lot of little tweaks that happened in this, but the pressing of Sebastian Legette and Servando Carrasco and even Perry Kitchen, who I didn't think had a great game but had some good moments, uh, just the way that they lined up in this game made a huge difference. And I'll be honest with you right now, Kevin, if I'm Siggy Schmidt, in terms of that back five with uh, Ashley Cole and Chris Pontius on the outside there, I don't change a darn thing going into Real Salt Lake with that because that's the best that defense has looked all year. Well, you know, you t- I talked about them being physical, and I think that's an important thing. I'm looking at the box score now. You know, Felter, Pontius, Shelvick, and Romney all had yellow cards. There were five and of I, them, the five yellow well, cards for the Galaxy. The, the fifth one was was Ibrahimovic yes. for whatever. I don't know what that was for, but you, the dive. I, don't know, I, I think you like to have your backline guys get yellow cards. I mean, I think you like to have them mixing it up a little bit. You don't want them to do it every game because then they'll get suspended. But in a game like this, you know, I think the fact that those four guys had the yellow cards – is pretty interesting now, and I know that you just talked about how Gio might have made a difference. I know that you are the one remaining Gio uh, Dos Santos fan in Los Angeles, so I, I will tell you this: that maybe he is about ready to come back because I saw him circling through the uh, bowels of the StubHub Center, doing his best to avoid the fans in the Champions Lounge on his way out to the car, and he was moving pretty good. So he may be back in, in sooner than we think. And you talked to uh, you told me I don't know if you printed this anywhere. The Galaxy were missing how much? 61% of their payroll? Yeah. With those five players out? Yeah, I think it, it was 61%. $10.8 million, I believe, is what it ended up being. I'd have to go back and look at it exactly. But yeah, $10.4, $10.8 million in payroll, and 61% of their total payroll was missing. Uh, and that included those four players that were that were out of that game. So that's a that's a huge number. Yeah, it is. And $6 million of it goes to, to Geo, not to belabor one yeah. point. Over yeah. and over again. Yeah, no, no. We, uh, I got it. Um, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. The, uh, Larry Morgan was actually out to training on Monday. Uh, he reported in to me that it looks like all four players were back to training. Um, I don't know what that means in terms of did they fully participate and Larry couldn't be 100% sure because it was difficult to see everybody. And there weren't – Monday – Media availability is different than other media availability. There's a couple guys who hang around, you can talk to, that type of thing, but it's not like the full-on whenever Zlatan talks and everybody shows up and you get to ask everybody every question every time. So it looks like perhaps those four could be on their way to uh, being ready and ready maybe a little sooner than we thought. I think it was... Oh, not so quick. Oh, not so quick. What do you got? I got... Well, I got nothing. Just a hunch. September uh-huh, yeah. 1st is their next game. Then they have two weeks off for the international break. Right. You know, um, I know this is a huge game in Real Salt Lake. It's very important for a million different reasons. But when you have that extra two weeks off, you know, my guess would be I I didn't see them training today, so I don't know. We had heard that uh, Alessandrini was probably going to be back earlier than they thought. He might be a guy that they want to put in there. Jonathan sounds like he's ready. Maybe the other two guys, if you don't play them against Real Salt Lake, then they get another two weeks off. So right. they get oh, essentially a full month to recover from those injuries. You have to believe at that point that they're good for the last six, seven weeks of the season. If you rush them back for Real Salt Lake again, they have two weeks to recover. But, uh, you know, especially the guys with the hamstring problems, uh, those things linger for a long time. Would you be better giving them yet an extra two weeks? Or do you feel, does Iggy feel that if he plays them and they feel a, a twinge again, that again, he has uh, two weeks between games to get them ready. Is that enough time, or do you give them the benefit of having a full month off? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I would say this: that if you start if you start losing again to uh, to teams, if you can't get at least a point 
out of Real Salt Lake. Again, your playoff chances are dwindling quickly. Realistically, the Galaxy need to go th steal three points at Real Salt Lake, something that is going to be ridiculously hard to do. Um, I think we were talking, I don't know if we said it in the podcast, but we were talking beforehand. Real Salt Lake is 9-1-3 and at home, has only lost one game at home the entire year. That was to LAFC at the second game of the season for Real Salt Lake, um, and it was a 5-1 loss. Uh, eventually, RSL got a penalty kick, but this is a different RSL team. Um, and so trying to think that you're going to do anything, listen, here's the deal. If you're healthy, you play. It's that it's the bottom line now, because with the seven games remaining, there's not a lot of room for dropping any type of points. In fact, if you could, you need to win every single game, these last seven games to ensure that you get into the playoffs. And that does it. If you win all seven games, I, I guarantee the galaxy will get into the playoffs. Well, and they're coming off a six, nothing win too. They're yeah. asking, they beat uh, Colorado six to nothing. So, I mean, they're feeling really good about where they're at right now. Every team in the conference, you look at Seattle, we talked about them, seven wins in a row, nine unbeaten, except for Portland. Portland's in a little bit of a slump, but um, Real Salt Lake is hot. Uh, Seattle is very hot. Sporting Kansas City, they've won four in a row, four shutouts, two-nothing shutouts each of the four games, I believe. it's. Uh, they were shutouts. I believe they were all two-nothing, but they're really hot right now, too. So the teams that the, are sort of those middle teams, uh, FC Dallas is in first still, and and they're scuffling a little bit. Vancouver down at the bottom, scuffling a little bit. But the teams that are in the middle, there's eight teams divided by nine points, I believe. And a lot of them, you know, Portland, uh, another exception, but Seattle, Real Salt Lake, Sporting Kansas City, all playing really well right now. Yeah, it's, it's going to be tough. I, I'll tell you this. If the Galaxy play like they did against LAFC, they will win a good portion of these games. It's, it's that bottom line. And, you know, maybe having their back up against the wall, Kevin, is something that they uh, that they learn from this game is that, hey, you know, taking the season series and the Galaxy did and rightfully so take the season series and have bragging rights in Los Angeles over, you know, what they did and what they were able to accomplish. The one win at StubHub Center was Slotan's uh, debut and then the two draws gives the LA Galaxy that season series and the quote unquote, you know, trophy or championship over LA for now. Um, you know, and sort of see how that goes. But you and I were talking, if the Galaxy don't make the playoffs and LAFC does, that's not going to be something that's going to go over very well in terms of, yeah, but in the regular season, you couldn't beat us type thing. Although it'll be true. And whenever they come in next year, Kevin, you're going to have the undefeated LA Galaxy going against, you know, LAFC in terms of how that goes. So the bragging rights are there. Um, but I really think they learned a roadmap here. I really think they learned what intensity it's going to take to win these games. And now they need to try and match that intensity, that physicality, that pressing style, that work rate, all of those things they have to match going against Real Salt Lake in, in, the, uh, in the altitude there. Um, don't downplay the altitude, and that's always a hard field, and, and the ball bounces, and all sorts of fun stuff that you see in, at RSL. And, and, you know, it's just, it's going to be difficult for them to do that every game, but I, I think that they learned something there. I have to believe that they, they had to have learned something as a team. I talked to one player um, just, you know, off to the side, and they were talking about, you know, maybe, maybe our defense finally learned something. Maybe they understood. Maybe the formation that they, that they were in, they finally got it. Um, and it, they finally clicked. And, you know, I think you'd hope that that would be the case after so many games. But it's interesting now because even if you do get Siani back, Kevin, uh, there's not necessarily a starting spot for him anymore, which we were talking about Rolf Felcher not having. Played, not the way they played against LAFC. I don't mess with that uh, back line. I don't touch they, it. 
Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's something. And that was funny because we were just talking about Rolf Felcher not having a place, right? And then Siani gets injured and Felcher immediately comes in. It's like it all was going to work perfectly the whole time, but Felcher comes in. Felcher is that other center back right now, and he did great getting forward on the right-hand side, providing service. Um, that's what you want to see. I think Siggy Schmidt was critical of Ashley Cole and Chris Pontius and the roles that they played a little bit. Ashley Cole was getting forward more than Chris Pontius, and <laughs> Siggy said, you know, really would like it to be the other way. Um, which could have left the LA Galaxy open defensively a lot more than they were, but still, uh, Perry Kitchen, Servando Carrasco did an okay job of coming back and filling in those holes for the most part. So, again, the Galaxy learned a lot in this game, and, and I think that, you know, even if things go sideways down the end here, I think that this was an important game in terms of mentality, Kevin, because there's there's times when teams come together and you can see it and, and you can understand that the team learned something, that they figured something out, that they understand something going forward. And for the most part, when you look on this you know, back line that they have right now, there's only one player that you look at that probably won't be here next year, and that's probably Ashley Cole. And that's a still a maybe, but it's probably Ashley Cole. So you're going to have four players who are going to come back and sort of understand what they did defensively. Dave Romney, Jorgen Shelvick, uh, Rolf Felcher, and Chris Pontius. You know, and Perry Kitchen and Servander Carrasco. So, I mean, there's a bunch of players in there that learned how to play together in this formation and in this team. And I think that that's probably the the best that the Galaxy can hope for right now is that they did indeed take that to heart and they understood something out of this game. But, you know, the focus clearly now is on the playoffs, seven games left. And, and that's important because uh, the Galaxy in LA and Real Salt Lake are both at 27 games. They both have seven left. Everybody else has more. Portland has three more games left than uh, the Galaxy do. Seattle has two more games. Where that's important, you're right. Those guys are going to have to squeeze a lot of games into a little bit of time, and that is going to be difficult for them. Uh, but uh, at the same token, uh, you can't make up games you, you don't get to play. Yeah. So uh, and, and it's different. It is different playing, uh, having a backloaded schedule. Yes, you're a little bit more tired, but you take the field knowing exactly what you need to do. Um, you know, the, the, the Galaxy didn't have that advantage earlier in the season. They were playing for points, but there wasn't that sense of urgency. So Portland's going to take the field for three extra games here down the stretch, knowing what they need to do. The Galaxy didn't have that advantage. So that's, that, is, that is a big difference. And against Seattle, another team that has a couple of extra games, Sporting Kansas City has a couple extra games, Dallas. Um, so the schedule in, in that sense has worked against the Galaxy as well. Yeah, it is. It has simplified things for the Galaxy, though, in the same sort of token. And I agree with you 100%. It's a disadvantage. Um, it's also sometimes an advantage to have already played those games because those other teams have to win games and they have to put in the performance. And again, it's not necessarily just handing somebody just because Portland has, you know, three games in hand doesn't mean they get nine points out of those. But any point they get out of those is more than the Galaxy will get having already played those games. So it's it's important to sort of note that thing, but it's it's easier for the Galaxy in a in a sort of mental way too there Kevin, and that is that the Galaxy know exactly what they have to do as well, just win every single game. Um, and they don't have to win every single game. That's not what we're saying in terms of what the total results are, but the Galaxy know in their mindset is that 3 points is what we need and 3 points is what we have to get. Um, and there's nothing else to sort of do about that. It's three points every time you step on the field, and you can't afford to lose games at home. You can't lose any more games at home. You have to win all your home games. Um, I think there's three home games left now, Kevin, because it's four and three, and the, the yeah, Aways exactly. have one more. Yeah, so And, and they do, uh, and they end the season on the road at Houston. But uh, again, you know, knowing that there's points out there, you just look at some of these schedules, and, and everybody, you know, the schedules were all equal at the start of the season. We can't whine about who plays who down the stretch, but... You look at Portland again with the fact they get three extra games. 
they're playing Toronto, New England, Colorado. They go to, to Houston, Columbus, Minnesota. I mean, that looks like a fairly, uh, I don't want to say easy schedule, but not nearly as challenging as the one that Galaxy faces. You look at LAFC, they got Toronto, New England, San Jose. They go to Chicago that's just fallen off the edge of the earth. Colorado, um, they play Houston at home, I believe. Uh, Vancouver, and then they end the season at Salt Lake, so they're gonna are uh, at Sporting Kansas City, so they're gonna have to have their business taken care of before that game. Um, and the Galaxy again, they're really tough, you know, at Real Salt Lake, Seattle at home, Vancouver at home. Um, they go to Sporting Kansas City, which has lost, uh, I think, twice this year at home. Uh, they play at Minnesota on that turf. Does a lot of time go to that game? Oh, game yes. To win. Yep, that's going to be that's going to be super interesting. By the way, the Galaxy finish at home with Houston. Houston um, I'm sorry, yeah, at Houston home. home. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but no, I mean you're right. These are difficult games. I mean, I, I did it on on Thursday, and I didn't come up with a whole bunch of points uh, for the Galaxy. But they did get one more point than I thought they were going to get because they did get a point um, against LAFC, and I thought they were going to lose that game. Um, in particular. Let's talk real quick a little bit more about this game, and then I want to shift and, and sort of talk about some other things uh, that surround this game, and obviously Real Salt Lake and, and the standings and everything else. Um, Kitchen pulling that PK um, was really the low light of the LA Galaxy uh, on an otherwise very good game for them. Um, the Galaxy could have won that game one nothing, Kevin. Uh, it seemed like it was within the cards and within the reach, and that's for a defense that has really not pulled off any you know sort of one nothings, although they have six shutouts. Um, they just haven't done that a whole bunch. Um, and so you looked at this game and you saw it and, and Perry Kitchen and sliding and, and Carlos Vela, who I thought played the, played so smart there, um, just to turn and get in the way of Kitchen's slide. And it certainly was a penalty kick. Anybody who's saying it wasn't a penalty kick didn't see it. Um, but yeah, it was a penalty kick and it put it in there. So here's the thing with Perry Kitchen and me, Kevin. I'm, I'm always impressed by his work rate. I'm always impressed by his, by his physicality. But he tends to chase the ball more than anticipate. Um, for my money, he's overly physical when he doesn't need to be. And in this particular case, it's bad decision-making on his part to leave his feet when Vela really is turned almost away from goal at this point, or at least up against the sideline. And not No, he's right at there. the end line. He's yeah. not, there's nothing he can do at that point. Yeah, there's no place for him to go. So sliding there seemed like it was, he thought maybe a cross was going to come in. That was the whole thing. But you're so tight to the line there, I'm not sure you need to try to do it. And he was close enough to, to Bingham and everything else. I just didn't feel like there was a ton of danger in that play. It was actually a little slow-developing play. And so for me, that's a huge mistake by Kitchen. Now, he made up for it in a couple different ways in terms of his defensive stands that he made um, going down the line after the penalty kick. But it was just, it's an unfortunate way to see the goal given up. I'm sure Bob Bradley didn't think that LAFC played well in this game. Um, I think that he probably thought they were outmatched in the midfield for a lot of this game and that they were outworked and outhustled. Um, so I'm sure that Bradley and LAFC are happy with the point. But again, it goes back to the Galaxy and thinking maybe they deserved, absolutely they deserved, not maybe, absolutely they deserved more than just the one point here. And how different would it be in the playoff standings right now, Kevin, if they did get that extra two points for winning the game instead of drawing the game? Well, and you made the point that if the game's not on ESPN, the Galaxy gets shut out. Ah, yes, my favorite one. And this one goes into really good. Zlatan Ibrahimovic gets goal number 499, and thank God it wasn't goal 500 that was scored this way. Uh, a shot by Zlatan goes in, and I think it was Silva on LAFC, Kevin. You'll, you'll have to tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, Daniela Silva. Yeah, Silva makes a save, what looked like it was a save. A, it was a great play, even though it didn't count. It was still a great play. Yeah, he was trying to come back on the goal line and, stay, and save it, and Zlatan raised his hands immediately. The sideline referee, um, the assistant referee on the sideline, did not see it cross the line uh, and 
did not put his flag up. Um, and then it went basically to VAR in a video review. Uh, Jar, uh, Marufo was the referee. Um, and he goes in and he looks at it. And the only reason, and I am dead serious whenever I say this, the only reason that the LA Galaxy got a one, the one goal that counted in this was because ESPN, and Taylor Twelman alluded to this on the broadcast, but ESPN put in these goal line cameras. They're actually inside the posts of the goal, and they shoot down the line so that way you can see what it looks like on the line. And in that moment, you were able to see the ball actually cross the line. It gets completely over the line. It is within reason that you sit there and look at it and say, VAR, you made a, uh, a clear and obvious mistake, and that should have been a goal. And that's a goal. If Spectrum is doing this game, Kevin... Yeah, Spectrum does it on someone's cell phone, I think. That's their video. I, I think it, they don't, definitely don't have the cameras, all right? There aren't as many cameras whenever Spectrum does it. It's like an artist rendition. It's kind of like a federal court yeah it's, it's yeah it's, it's drawn that's good that was the sketched it out let's look let's go to var for spectrum and there's somebody drawing it out on a piece of paper with a pencil um no i mean you look at it spectrum doesn't have those goal line cams um nobody else i don't even think fox whenever they do a nationally televised game has the goal line cams i haven't seen them um so the only reason the galaxy get that goal is because var is able to see the angle down the goal line from espn's goal line cameras and that is the only reason the galaxy get the goal and i would like to call bs on that whole thing um and say it's ridiculous that not every game one either has those goal line cameras kevin whether they're installed by the teams and operated by the teams and only available to var i don't care that doesn't bother me if var is the only one who has that angle that's fine with me as long as they're able to see it but i'll tell you this that if it's really close and you can't quite tell if the ball went over the line. Like, if it's just, oh, it could be, it might not be, you're not going to award the goal. And the bottom line is cameras are not accurate enough to be able to tell whether the ball has gone over the line and trying to use a human eye. So we know they have goal line technology in Europe. We know that they use it in the EPL, and I'm sure they use it in some other leagues as well. Um, it's, it's by time that MLS gets on this weird uh, technological league, we're cutting edge, gets on it and installs it. I know it's expensive. It's about $320,000 per stadium initial installation. There's seven cameras focused on each goal that track the ball. It's a Hawkeye system. And then I think it's five or six grand per game, probably for licensing and software and all that fun stuff as well. But MLS is making enough money. MLS is worth enough money in the World League to get goal line technology because otherwise the Galaxy lose this game. Yeah, they could use TAM money to do that. You know, the one at the World Cup, you know, it's like uh, the U.S. Open. They have like a little cartoon of a ball you yeah. know, landing on one side of the strip or the other. But the, Silva's play, I thought, was a great play. And it, the, it was clearly a goal, but it was close enough. You're right. It was close enough that with the naked eye, you don't award that goal. And without a, the a, the perfect camera angle, you don't award it either. Because remember, when you go to the replay, it has to be uh, absolutely 100 uh, percent you know, incontrovertible evidence. It can't be that, oh, it just looks like it's close. It has to be 100% incontrovertible evidence. It has to be, you, you're not going to overturn it because to the naked eye, it looked like Silva made the play. And unless you have the exact right camera angle, you can't, you can't award that goal. So you're right. And you think back to the Colorado game. Remember that ball that bounced off, apparently bounced off Tim Howard's face right. and hit the goalpost. And, and Ola Kamara insisted that was a goal. You know what? I would like to see that uh, goalpost camera on that. Um, no one, no one even argued for a replay on that. Maybe they knew they didn't have the camera angle or I, I don't know why they didn't, but having seen Silva's play and then uh, saw what it really looked like on camera, I'd like to see that Tim Howard, play. I guess we can't obviously, but right. I would like to see 
that might have been a goal too. The yeah. Galaxy might have won that game. Yeah, exactly. Could have given them another two points that they needed and and everything else in between. I mean, this is the problem I have with it. it it's it's unequal. Um, there, there's, there's something that's wrong with this because if you're a team that has more nationally televised games, which means that ESPN covers more of your games, then you're going to have either more of, a, of an advantage or less of an advantage, right? Because if you're on the losing side of this, you have less of an advantage of teams that don't get the nationally televised games by ESPN. Um, so it needs to be equal across everything. And, and by the way, kudos to ESPN for thinking that that's an angle that they want to put in. Um, because it's great, but that is sort of the problem with VAR. If you only have one camera shooting the match, Kevin, let's say that you know some professional game gets broadcast and there's only one camera, it's the high one at midfield, uh, you're not going to be able to review plays like uh, offside. You're not going to be able to review plays like uh, on the goal line. So it totally matters about how many cameras there are, what angles there are, and it's why probably VAR worked um, well, it's one of many reasons why VAR works so well, I think, in the World Cup um, was that there were so many angles to choose from because there's so many cameras covering each game. So I think there were 30-something cameras on. Yeah, yeah, I think 36, and then some of them had extra handheld cameras. Yeah, so you had 36 angles, plus you had goal line technology, so that was never an issue either. I mean, if you're going to do it right, like MLS, if, at least get the goal line calls correct because if that ball goes in in Colorado, the Galaxy get two more points. That matters to them in the playoff run. If it's only because ESPN is covering this, then it's unfair for another team that doesn't get the call um, down the road and doesn't have enough games by ESPN. It's just, it, it's it's not equal, and I don't like that, and it, it totally matters about who brings cameras and what angles you have and what your TV deal says. Well, uh, I, I'm of two minds on this. First of all, if you look around the league, you say, okay, at Yankee Stadium, uh, New York City plays on a postage stamp and the Galaxy have the widest field in the league. Right. So it changes the way the game's played. Minnesota has terrible turf. Portland and Seattle have turf. Um, you know, there's turf fields. There's the weather in Houston and Dallas. Uh, you know, so it's different. It's not the same. You're not, you know, it's not, everything is not the same every game. But but you're right on this because this is a technological thing that you know going in. And it's almost, and since you're using VAR, now if you're not using VAR, that's fine. Right. That means the TV viewers don't get the same uh, experience at home. And, and, you know, so that's bad, but it's not, it's not going to impact the result of the game. This is totally different. This results, the, uh, the you know, affects the result of the game. NFL Major League Baseball, when they went to replay systems, they all set up a thing where they said we have to have the same camera angles everywhere. We have to have a sideline camera. We have to have this camera, overhead camera, whatever. The NHL puts a a, a camera right above the goal. There's a goal, right. and I think a camera in the goal. Those are reviewed back in Toronto. Uh, every goal is reviewed to make sure that it went in. They've t- said if we're going to use technology, everything has to be equal. We have to be looking at the same shots in every arena. MLS, for whatever reason, and I, it's got to be money. It's the only thing I can think of. MLS has said, we're just going to try to uh, muddle along with what we have. And you're right. The Galaxy may have lost a goal against uh, Colorado. I've kind of changed my mind on that after seeing this replay. They may have lost a goal against Colorado, and that's two points. And if they would have lost this goal, that's uh, another point. Right. And, and so now they're down three points in, in a playoff race where I have them – barely squeaking in but but you know the three points would keep them out 
Yeah, it, it very well could have. And, and so, again, it, it's just something to watch and, and how this goes. But Zlatan gets $4.99, uh, probably had a chance at 500 a couple times. Um, the, the other thing I think I've already alluded to, I thought David Bingham made his best save in an L.A. Galaxy uniform of this game, uh, taking the ball off of uh, Benny Failhaber's uh, uh, feet in the 73rd minute. It was a great save. It's a great move to cut off the angle. It's an understanding of where Failhaber's going to try to go and probably a mistake by Failhaber to try to dribble in that position. Uh, Bingham was able to do it. Bingham wasn't called on a whole bunch in this game, Kevin, but he didn't hurt the Galaxy. Um, and I think sometimes Bingham can can hurt the Galaxy. Uh, I was digging through his stats again today because I like to go through it. And by the way, uh, I would like to throw out another criticism of MLS while we're at it. Um, hey, MLS, whenever you go to the uh, goalkeepers page and you want to see all the stats, how about you let every column be like, you know, uh, searchable instead of just the ones that you choose? Because goals against average, where you would want to sort of arrange the goalies, goalkeepers in Major League Soccer by goals against, because that's a big stat that you want to look, you can't actually click on it to then make it goals against. That way you can see where everybody stacks up. I have to download the data, take it over and arrange it, and then be able to sort by goals against. So you need to be sorting all those categories and if we're on my high horse still those lineups those little lineup bubbles that they present to us on our lineup sheets at the uh, at the games kevin are the most ridiculous things i've ever seen it looks like a bunch of z- of circles on top yeah, of each other it does it's all it's squished together i can't believe that you're you're accusing mls of not being Fully transparent. That I've never heard such a thing. <sighs> David Bingham goalkeeper stats: twelfth uh, in the league in save percentage. He's eighteenth in goals against, uh, second in saves, second in shots, um, and then second worst in goals against, forty-eight and forty-nine. Listen, I mean, some of these are clear. If you're second in saves and second in shots, Kevin, um, that's probably not a good thing. Uh, in fact, I know it's not a good thing because the only guy who has more saves and more shots than David Bingham right now is Evan Bush in Montreal, and I think they're considered to be have one of the uh, one of the worst sort of defenses there in Montreal, as well as Orlando. Joe Bendick has conceded 49 goals. David Bingham's 48. Um, so listen, David Bingham did well in this game. I thought he played well. I thought he managed the game okay. He had a couple little hiccups. That's the, that is David Bingham. That's what we've seen from him in these games. Um, but his save is huge. And, and that goes the same with Daniel Starris coming into the game after Dave Romney uh, sort of got stepped on and, and tw- rolled his ankle a little bit. Um, it seems like Dave Romney came in, excuse me, Daniel Starris came in and and really put in a good shift the, the last, you know, 15 minutes or 15 minutes. It wasn't even 15 minutes. The last like three minutes. He came in, in the 89th minute uh, to close that out and made a huge save on, uh, on I think it was Blessing who was taking a shot and deflected it out. Um, so these guys, the defense was the name of the game against LAFC, and that's not something we've seen from this LA Galaxy team very much in, in 2018. Well, you know, when you talk about David Bingham, it, it, the stats, just the, just the sheer numbers, and I'm not reflecting on eyeball performance or what I remember, but sounds a lot like Dan Kennedy numbers. When he was the goalkeeper at Chivas USA, he had phenomenal numbers of shots faced and phenomenal numbers of saves and a very high goals against average because he'd make, you know, 10 or 12 saves in a game literally and and he'd give up four goals. It was just, it it was impossible. It was a shooting gallery. And he was second team all league one year after he gave up, I think, 55 or 56 goals. Uh, And so you look around and and, in the rest of the Western Conference, Tim Howard, um, you know, national team goalie for with three World Cups, he's given up 48 goals. And the guy that backed him up on the national team, Nick Ramondo, we all saw at least giving up 44. Uh, so it, it's hard to, to, to look at the numbers. And, and as you said, second in shots and second in saves. Um, yeah, he's given up 48 goals, but it looks like David Bigham's right there with some really good goalkeepers. 
Yeah, I mean, not bad. The save percentage, you know, numbers are a little lower than I would like to see. Um, you know, some of these, and whenever I say it's 18th in the league, it's 18th among goalkeepers, you know, really because there's sometimes goalkeepers split, so there could be two teams or two players that have, uh, you know, a similar record for the same team. So really it's about 18th in terms of the goalkeepers who have had minutes um, and played. So you look at that, I mean, he's, he's near the bottom end. You'd expect that to be a little bit higher. I'm not... I have never been one who said David Bingham was the best goalkeeper in Major League Soccer. Nobody would make that argument. Um, but I am going to say that he's probably better than what his stats show just because the Galaxy's defense has been so porous to start with. So, um, you know, it's one of those things you have to keep in mind. I think he's been getting better. I think the confidence is starting to grow. And that save he made on Fellhaber, I think, is really going to help him going against Real Salt Lake um, and onward in this thing. So I think it was a good confidence boost, and it was probably time for him to sort of get that confidence boost. Yeah, here's a team he gave up five goals against in the first two games, and all he gives up is a penalty shot this time. I, I think that really does does help his confidence. Yeah, a good little grow. Well, you hinted at this particular topic, Kevin, uh, a little bit earlier, but uh, Siggy Schmidt only makes two subs in this game, and the first one didn't come to the 77th minute, and the second one came only because Dave Romney got injured um, and had to come off in the 89th minute. He's so, okay, by the way. Yeah, he is over the case. Yeah, we, uh, it's, it seems like it may have just been an ankle roll. I don't think it's anything serious. I think you expect him to play Real Salt Lake. Everything seems fine. So, um, my question is, is Siggy Schmidt forgetting that he's allowed to use three subs, Kevin, and is he allowed to use them a little bit earlier? I mean, wh what do you think that is going through uh, Siggy Schmidt's mind on this stuff? Well, a couple of things. First of all, he knows he's got four starters out, so if there's four guys on the bench that probably wouldn't be there under normal circumstances. I mean, wouldn't be dressed. They, 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 there's guys in the lineup that would be on the bench. So he knows he's already missing four guys. Um, and he's talked a lot about how over the winter he put together a deep team and he thought he had a lot of depth. And when injuries happened before, he talked about his depth. Uh, that was all window dressing. I don't think he ever really felt that he had a strong depth. I think he feels like there's a couple of guys on the bench that can help him. But there's other guys that never seem to get on the field. Baggio never seems to get on the field. Um, Steris doesn't seem to get on the field a whole lot. He hasn't even brought uh, Hilliard Arce up recently. He's, you know, he's been banished to Galaxy 2. We may never see him again. We talked before this about uh, Alvarez as well. It seemed like back in March that that guy was uh, just about ready to make his MLS debut. And now I, I agree with you, uh, what you said earlier, that with the playoffs on the line, probably not going to bring in a 15-year-old at this point. Um, with the season on the line, but I, I, I just I don't think Ziggy feels like he has the depth that he has bragged about. I think he feels like with four starters out, he has 11 players, and he's going to keep those 11 players on the field because they're better than anyone he has on the bench. Yeah, it, it could be. I would have liked to see, you know, Jameson did come into this game, and I think that he played pretty well. So, I mean, for Servando Carrasco, I think that was a an offensive sub by Siggy Schmidt. So, people saying that Siggy didn't want to win the game, um, I thought that that was a good sub. You know, people wanted to see Ima Boateng come in um, and probably come in for Chris Pontius. And I think there were a lot of people who were thinking that way. I'll say, I'll tell you this, I don't think that Ima Boateng is, is as good on the defensive side. So, if you're going to bring him in, it was going to be a more offensive sub. Kevin, you may be right that they just didn't have, he didn't have the defensive subs to sort of make and and solidify that defense in the midfield. Um, and so the moves he did make, you know, were just really conservative moves. I, I would argue that Siggy Schmidt, you know, played the most uh, attacking lineup he probably could with the players that he had available. In fact, my predicted lineup, whenever I was going through these things, had everybody on the field who was on the field, maybe not in the exact position that they were on, but they were all there um, and they were all uh, all playing in, in what I thought it was. So, I mean, you know, it seems like to me that there was just a shortage. I'll, t I'll say this. I think Siggy Schmidt could have gone for the win in this one. And if he does, I think he brings Chris Pontius off maybe, or he brings Rolf Felcher off and he puts in, you know, Ima Boateng and you try to go from there. But uh, you have to 
to remember at this point in the game, towards the end of the game, the Galaxy were under pressure from LAFC. I wonder, you know, you don't necessarily want to make a defensive sub. Boateng would have been a good option to sort of relieve some pressure, Kevin. Uh, and we've seen him be that pressure valve. Uh, I just don't know what Ima Boateng has to do anymore to get on the field, and I'm not sure that Siggy has a ton of confidence in him because he's not seeing uh, the field on a regular basis anymore, and he's not even coming in. So Siggy Schmidt just uses two subs. Uh, LAFC uses all three by the 77th minute. Uh, the Galaxy... Well, the one was an injury, though. It was. first half injury. It was, it was. But you still got, you know, 64th minute was their second sub uh, with Blessing coming on for Christian Ramirez. Um, you had the 77th minute with uh, Horta coming on and Failhaber coming off. Um, and then the Galaxy sort of got in on that with Bradford Jameson coming on and Daniel Starr is coming on and again for an injury in the 89th. So would Siggy Schmidt have even used the second sub uh, if if Daniel Star- if Dave Romney wouldn't have gotten injured there towards the end? It's it, it's an interesting question. I think it's one you continue to watch because I think that there are some players. You talked about Tom uh, Tomas Hilliard Arce. You talked about uh, Bradford Jameson. These guys aren't playing, Kevin. Five games played, two games started for Bradford Jameson, 202 minutes. Granted, he had the long uh, injury with the concussions, and we didn't know whether or not he was going to be playing anymore. Um, but he's back now. He's been back for a little while, and he's just he's not seeing a ton of minutes. Same with Hilliard Arce, which is he's been around this entire time, been playing a bunch with G2, uh, coming up and making five games and four games started for the LA Galaxy. 304 minutes played. Um, so, you know, my big question here is, is Siggy Schmidt the, the right guy to be nurturing the, some of this younger talent? Because otherwise these guys are going other places. Well, he, he was didn't have the reputation. He did. I talked to him about this and he, I mentioned to him that he didn't have a reputation of being a guy that brought young talent along. And he, he uh, challenged me on that and, you know, said, you know, he brought Jordan Morris and Christian uh, Roldan and some other pe- people there. Um, but for the most part, you know, it was Chad Marshall and Clint Dempsey and people like that. He did seem to be have a very uh, veteran-heavy team. And and Bruce Arena was like that, too, although Bruce generally seemed to have one young guy in the lineup, you know, every game. I, I think you may see some more substitutions this week. They are going to altitude. Real Salt Lake is not uh, Colorado, but it's not far behind. Very high altitude there. And if he does bring some of those players that have been injured – um, you know, Alessandrini, uh, he disagrees with this, but uh, the way uh, Ziggy's used him, he's been a 65 or 70 minute player even when fit. So going to Real Salt Lake after a couple of weeks off, uh, I think maybe he is a guy that's going to have to be subbed out if he plays early in the second half. Jonathan may be the same thing. I think you'll see Ziggy hold on to those substitutions into the second half and then uh, and then use all three right around the 65th or 70th minute because I think guys are going to be gassed. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they very well could be. So, um, you know, again, it's just sort of one of those interesting things. You know, Siggy Schmidt, Kevin, correct me if I'm wrong. Schmidt's contract is technically up at the end of this year. I believe it. I believe that is accurate. Okay, so you know, you're talking about a guy right now who is maybe or maybe not fighting for his coaching career to stay with the LA Galaxy. Um, you know, the Galaxy could part ways with him at the end of the year, and there's no money lost here. You know, for once, the LA Galaxy wouldn't be paying two coaches because Cardinalfo's contract, which they were paying him through the end of this year, um, would also be done. Uh, the LA Galaxy would be on the hook for exactly one coach, uh, which would be something new and exciting for them after the last, uh, last you know, two years or year and a half. Um, so you look at that and, and see what Siggy Schmidt is trying to do, and I'm going to tell you right now, from the comments he's been making recently, Kevin, and the way that he has been uh, couching his efforts, I would say that there does seem to begin to be the beginning of a separation 
between these between the front office and Siggy Schmidt. And it sounds to me, at least from what I'm reading and how I'm I'm listening to Siggy and how he's talking, is Siggy's not going to go quietly. He's gonna he's going to be talking about things. No, and he's not going to change. You talk about whether he you know is fighting for his job right now. If if he is, he's going to do it on his terms because. I truly believe he doesn't have uh, a lot of respect for the people in the front office. I don't think he sees eye to eye with them. I think he and Kurt, his son, are kind of doing their own thing uh, despite the Galaxy front office. They're not working with them. They're working not against them, but they're working in spite of them. Um, I don't think, you know, if Chris Klein were to come in and say, Ziggy, you know what? I think you need to use Ima Boateng and and, uh, we'll win some games that way. And then you get to keep your job because we're going to make Boateng be a featured part of our offense next year. Ziggy's not going to do that if he doesn't think that's the right thing. I think Ziggy feels like, look, I've been doing this for three decades. I'm the winningest regular season coach in MLS history. Um, uh, you know, been to the playoffs all these years with Seattle, won a couple of MLS Cups. I know what I'm doing. You guys can get out of my way or you can let me do it the way I want to do it. But I don't think he, it, even if he feels like he needs to win a playoff game to have his job come back, uh, I don't think he's going to bow to any wishes from the front office. I do think that that whole coach sort of connection there has been severed. And I don't know, maybe I miss it. Uh, maybe it's there and I just don't see it. But I don't see him spending a lot of time talking to the front office uh, after training and after games. He pretty much goes off and does his own thing. Yeah, it seems that way. Now, this was this was the important point that was sort of brought up after the game. Um, it was asked of Siggy Schmidt whether or not uh, he enjoyed or, or what he could say about the atmosphere of this game. Uh, and certainly it was loud and it was raucous and it was playoff atmosphere and you saw it on the field and you saw it in the stands and everything else. Um, and Siggy Schmidt immediately opened with basically saying that uh, LAFC fans, he wonders why LAFC fans and their supporters are able to sit so close to the field. He goes, as he's been coaching in other places uh, throughout his career, they sit sit the away supporters as far away from the field as they possibly can. And that's certainly true in, in Seattle, where they would seat you and, and Galaxy fans and anybody else as far away as possible if you were traveling support. Um, but the big issue there isn't so much Siggy acknowledging it. It's the fact that the front office and, and the PR and everybody else who has been communicating and putting out, this has been an issue with supporters and with fans now uh, asking the LA Galaxy front office to explain this now probably for a month. And it's had rumblings before this, but it's certainly raising its ugly head. And in the last couple of weeks, it's become heated. You can see it on Twitter, people asking why the Galaxy continue to be so accommodating to visiting fans, uh, allowing them to sit in shaded areas whenever it's a day game. That's a shaded area in that northwest section of the stadium. Shaded areas with a roof, which makes them sound louder. Um, all these things that sort of happen and come about, why they should be able to be put there. And this is Siggy Schmidt, in my opinion, understanding what that discourse is. Uh, to understand that there is a, a lack of message here from the LA Galaxy and going out and bringing that question directly up. This is a, a front office, Kevin, who I think has tried to plan this that particular message very carefully and craft it correctly. Um, and has done, a, I think, a pretty poor job of it. And Siggy Schmidt comes out here and, in my mind, and maybe just in my mind only, throws the front office completely under the bus. Well, he had mentioned to me, too, one of the things when he came in, the very first crisis Ziggy had last summer from the very first day was Yella Van Dam going back to Belgium. Um, and Ziggy talked to him and said, you know, it's my captain. He's my starting center back. He wants to leave. So he turned to the front office and said, okay, where's the list of the other center backs that we've been scouting around the world? What's what's my backup plan? And they were like, what list? Apparently it's something every team in the league does, probably every team in the world does, is you have a backup list, a list of players that you would like to 
go out and get if, if you had a crisis. If someone gets hurt, someone transfers, someone moves, whatever it is, someone gets hit by a bus, and you need to replace them, you you don't have to start from scratch. You have a list of players that you've watched and, and it fits into your system and you know them a little bit. And uh, so when Ziggy asked for that list, which I'm sure he had in Seattle, uh, the Galaxy said, what list? We don't have a list like that. And that's how... That's how they wound up with Michael Ciani, by the way. Yeah. Um, they, they weren't prepared, and they got the first thing, that the first warm body that they could sign, and it turned out to be Michael Ciani. But, um, you know, I think from that very first day, Ziggy's like, oh, my God, this is a Keystone Cops here. And I think that had a big, re- uh, you know, a big reason for Kurt to come in. I know Ziggy has total confidence in Kurt. It's his son. They've worked together for a long time. But I do think that that's when it kind of became uh, Ziggy and Sons against the world. Yeah, it feels that way. It feels a little bit more. And I'll be honest, one of the things that I think Kurt Anolfo could be criticized for is not... Under, listen, I think, and, and I think I've been pretty clear on this, I felt that Kurt Anolfo took the fall for a front office that was totally unprepared whenever Bruce Serena left. Um, and you can blame Kurt for some of that, absolutely. Um, but you also have to blame the front office, and the front office has been relatively untouched. Um, I think that Kurt Anolfo was too quiet about his displeasure and he was playing, he was the team guy, right? He was like, Hey, no, he's very accommodating. Yeah. The yeah. Front office. Yeah. Very accommodating. And, and not just, Hey, yeah, we're all on the same team here. I see it. And I think ultimately he got thrown under the bus and run over by them. Um, I don't think Siggy Schmidt is going to let anybody throw him under the bus. And in fact, if he's going to do anything, he'll be throwing other people under the bus. And I think that this was the first in my mind, the first big step in terms of, hey, I'm going to be completely honest. And his exact quote he was, uh, I've got to be honest. I was a little surprised that their supporters were able to sit right there. I know in other places where I've coached, usually the visiting supporters are as far from the field as possible. So maybe that's something we've got to look at. Um, and he was he was laughing a little towards the end, but he was being serious in the fact that, you know, he saw this as an issue. And then he went on to obviously say you could tell it was a playoff game and the atmosphere and just or it, you could tell had the atmosphere of a playoff game and it was a rivalry game. And, you know, just the physicality of it sort of proved that. And he thought the atmosphere was great and everything was really, really good. So, I mean, you know, that's good stuff there. But to me, this is the disconnect that you're seeing from Siggy Schmidt, who apparently, Kevin, gets carte blanche. Uh, uh, authorization of player personnel, but we already know that that's not 100% true either. Well, you know, Kurt was in a situation where he had coached MLS teams before. He didn't have near the resume that that Ziggy did. Um, He had worked with and under the guys that were, uh, you know, in charge of the front office, you know, and Pete and Jovan and and, uh, Chris. And so I I think he was in a different situation. Ziggy, uh, in in a lot of ways, is kind of like Bruce. You hear Bruce say it all the time. I'm too old for this. I'm too old to do, to, to deal with this tomfoolery. And Ziggy's kind of the same way. Ziggy's like, here, you know, here's my resume. Here's what I've done. Here's the way I coach. Um, if you don't like it, then tell me to leave. But it's not going to be death by a thousand cuts like it was with Kurt where, hey, we're going to bring the young guys up. Oh, no, we're not. And now we got hurt guys. And now we've got to go out and get somebody. And now you're going to play a game with 13 people. Uh, Ziggy's not going to put up with that. No, no, it doesn't seem so. At all. All right. As we uh, as we move on, Kevin, I wanted to talk, and and now we're getting close to the playoffs. I want to get your picks down the uh, down the line for the LA Galaxy in terms of where it was. I've already put mine out there, and in, in terms of where I see these Galaxy team finishing and how many points I do, uh, how many points I have them with. But I'd also like to start just by talking about the drop points the LA Galaxy could have had. So we look back at these last couple games, and we realize this is not what has cost the LA Galaxy their their playoff run if they don't make the playoffs. We understand that his long history of this Galaxy team collapsing down the stretch, uh, a defense that is so porous it allows 
Carlson concedes late goals. And if you go through them and look at them, there is a, uh, a considerable argument here to say that the LA Galaxy could be as much as uh, 11 points better than they currently are. And if they were 11 points better than they currently are, Kevin, that would put them in first place in the Western Conference. Um, I'll go through just real quick what I see as the drop points. Maybe people will agree, maybe they don't. But you go back to April 28th versus Red Bulls. Uh, that game was a loss, and the Galaxy conceded a penalty kick in the 86th minute. Uh, you go back to May 5th at Houston. This was a loss, conceded a goal in the 90th minute, so they lost another point. That's two points those last two games. They lose two points in a draw against San Jose at San Jose on June 20th. That was a 3-1 halftime lead for the LA Galaxy and eventually ended up drawing that game, so lose two points there. The 7-4 draw versus DC United at home conceded in the 85th minute, which loses you two points there. 8-4 at Colorado loss conceded in the 90th minute, but they were even leading at halftime, so we'll say they lost a point here, but really they could have lost uh, three points whenever you really look at, at how it all went down. Um, then you look at uh, the draw versus Minnesota, uh, conceded the goal in the 84th minute, minus two points. The draw versus Colorado on 8-14, conceded in the 82nd minute, minus two points, and that is how you can get 11 easy points that the LA Galaxy have conceded over the course of the season in games where they were in a position to capture those points. Oh, worry not, Pato. You are so such a negative Nelly. Um, I have looked at the remaining schedule, and I didn't break this down like uh, pandas are very bad at math, by the way. So I didn't break this down and look at starting lineups and injuries and all that. I just basically looked at uh, the teams that are still in the playoff race, who they play, and what would be a possible result from that game, most likely result, and then see where the points wind up. And I have the Galaxy now with, remember, Ziggy said 51 points. He said 1.5 points a game. That's what he needs to get in the playoffs. And, and I looked that up, and he's right. No team with 51 points has missed the playoffs since MLS went to, the, to, the, to this current format in the 2015 season. And so the Galaxy need uh, 13 points. And I have them getting 13 points from their final seven games. I have them losing this weekend at Real Salt Lake. I have them beating Toronto. I have them with a draw with Seattle at home. I think that's going to be a tough game. I have them beating Vancouver. I have them losing at uh, Real or at Sporting Kansas City. Then I have them winning the last two games, Minnesota and Houston. They need to win both of those to get in. And I have them, if they do that, they finish with 51 points, right. which is exactly what Ziggy said. Now I have uh, Real Salt Lake also finishing with finishing with 51 points, but I give the Galaxy the edge on goal differential. So I have the Galaxy advancing to the playoffs with 51 points, and Real Salt Lake becoming the first team not to make it with 51 points. Now that gets the Galaxy sixth place, which means they play uh, the first place team. They have a play in, or rather, they play the third place team. They have a play in game to get into the playoff uh, to get into the conference semifinals. Um, so that's why I have the Galaxy. The other teams I have making the playoffs are uh, Portland. Uh, I, I just, you know, in Portland, unless, unless Portland just continues to uh, to struggle, they have so many games in hand, I don't see how they don't make the playoffs. So I have Portland, uh, Sporting Kansas City, Dallas, Seattle, uh, LAFC, and the Galaxy. Those are my six teams. Well, I'll tell you, I went back and also looked uh, since 2012, basically the teams to, to get points uh, the last team in on each side, uh, basically in 2012, uh, in from the East was 53 points, from the West was 43 points, in 2013, 49 and 51, 2014, 49 and 50, 2015, 49, 51, uh, 2016, 42, 46, and 2017, 50 and 46. That's the last team and how many points they had to get into the playoffs. So uh, again, 51 will do it. It doesn't mean that you have to have 51. You might be able to get a little bit less, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen here 
again with the LA Galaxy in this very very condensed uh, schedule now for the Galaxy in terms of uh, everybody being within you know just points of each other. It could come down to a tiebreaker, and that means that everything, every game they have is important, and scoring goals is important because the goal differential, I believe, is the first uh, first tiebreaker, and the goal differential for the LA Galaxy currently hovering at plus one. Um, so getting a 3 nothing win and getting that up to plus 4 would certainly boost chances of winning any tiebreaker. So understand that that also comes into play as the Galaxy face-off. Well, especially this week, because right now Real Salt Lake is minus 2 and the Galaxy is plus 1. So Real Salt Lake wins that game 2 to nothing. all of a sudden they're even. Yep. So, um, it's, or actually the Galaxy would be then trailing. So this is an important game. You know, again, you look at those results. I have them, once again, losing to uh, Real Salt Lake. If they if they pick up a draw, that, that's a couple of points. Well, one point anyways. You know, this, the game with Seattle, that's at home. If Seattle uh, Seattle can't continue, I mean, I, I just don't see any reason, any way a team continues to play like they've played. So let's say they, they finally kind of hit the skids a little bit and come in and that uh, draw turns into a win. That's another couple of points. Um, and they go to Minnesota, they might need those extra points because the penultimate game is at Minnesota on that horrible turf. That's not going to be an easy game to play. So, um, uh, you know, every point now is is super important. I will tell you this, uh, 538.com, the wonderful stats site that does all sorts of things, including uh, presidential elections. Uh, yeah, how did they stats. do on that Trump-Hillary Clinton thing? They na- that I'm sure they today? nailed it perfectly, Kevin. I'm yeah. sure that's all they ever do. Everybody got that one right. Uh, Putin, got it. Putin got it right. LA Galaxy uh, currently at 31% chance of making the playoffs, according to 538.com. Uh, that goes all the way down from you know Portland at 78%, Real Salt Lake at 77%. Uh, let's see. LA Galaxy at 31%, Vancouver at 30%, uh, Minnesota is at less than 1% of making the playoffs. I'm trying to see some other teams. Uh, oh, uh, FC Dallas, 99%, Seattle, 88%, LAFC, 95%, uh, wow. Portland, 78%. I think I already said them. But anyway, that's what you have right now in terms of their odds that 538 is calculating of them making the playoffs. Galaxy backs against the wall. This is not a for sure thing. Kevin had them. Uh, losing to Real Salt Lake. I have them drawing to Real Salt Lake, losing to Toronto because Toronto is much better than Kevin remembers them being, um, and they're finally all healthy, so I think that's a difficult road trip. I see a draw at home to uh, to Seattle. I see three points at home to Vancouver, zero points at Sporting Kansas City, one point away on the crappy turf in Minnesota, and three points at home at the very last game versus the Houston Dynamo, although at that point the Galaxy could not be in the playoffs. I had the Galaxy getting 47 points, and it doesn't seem to me like that's going to be enough to get them into the playoffs. I think it's a slim. I said 50-50 on Twitter today. I'm leaning more towards 40-60 in terms of where I think the Galaxy are going to end and how they're going to end just a little bit short of the playoffs this year and how that uh, that affects everything. Front office, coaching, uh, what happens next year, Kevin? Because I think if they make the playoffs, things might rel- relatively stay the same. I don't think that should be fair. I've said there needs to be a shakeup in the front office after this year if they just barely scrape into the playoffs. Uh, but if they miss the playoffs, there's for sure going to be uh, a scrape up and, and have to reorganize some things in my mind. I don't know how you can continue with that. So You know, you know, there's eight teams uh, within nine points, I think, of the top. And, and so the point is, what, regardless of where the Galaxy comes down, this is going to be pretty exciting. And if you look at the, the last games, which everything may be decided by then, but with that many teams bunched that close together, Maybe not. In the last games, uh, LAFC goes to Sporting Kansas City. That's going to be a great game. RSL goes to Portland. Um, the Galaxy has Houston at home, which is not a give me uh, in, in no. any way, shape, or form. Um, Seattle 
um, uh, plays. Uh, I believe they have a road game at the end as well. So these last games could be really, really exciting. Yeah, and and look for simultaneous kickoffs on those. Uh, that's usually how they do it. The last two weekends usually get a simultaneous kickoff. Um, certainly, that's I think because there's sports wagering now. They, uh, yes, exactly. And the the fun thing, I think the last game or the last game of the season, everybody kicks off at the same time. And I think the weekend before, you have the Eastern Conference going one going before the Western Conference all goes at the same time. So it should be. I, I, I mean, drama-wise, if you're a neutral and you're just watching this, anybody can win anything right now. Uh, I don't think anybody's completely out. I, I mean, there are some teams that are mathematically. San Jose uh, is in the running to get the wooden spoon that I'm staring at in the office right now, um, which certainly seems like that's a likely candidate. Maybe Chicago could fall that far as well um, in that time amount of time as well. But bottom line is seven games left for the LA Galaxy. Everything's sort of coming to a head. The LA Galaxy face off against Real Salt Lake on September 1st, 2018. That is a 7 p.m. Pacific time kickoff on on Saturday, uh, Rio Tinto Stadiums, where it's played. Spectrum Sportsnet and Spectrum Deportes is where you can find it. And as I said before, on Thursday, we will have your full preview for that game. All right, Kevin, is there uh, is there anything else you want to get to here? I'm trying to figure out the points here. San Jose has 17 points, and they have nine games left. Um, and the bottom, the Galaxy at the bottom, 38 points, the last playoff spot. So I guess San Jose could still make it but uh, I, i'm with you i think they're wooden spoon material at this point yeah i i think so too um so we'll see how that all uh how that all works and how that all goes out we have uh two calls well, i want to get to before kind we of, kind of kind of flabbergasted you there kind of knocked you off your your train of thought sorry hey, about that everyone's well it's okay no worries that's fine all right i want to get to uh before we end everything i want to get to these couple calls and and again um uh, you know pasadena is apparently where pandadina pandadina i'm sorry i keep i keep screwing it this almost sounds like altadina or alta panda Alta Panda, uh, yeah. Alta Panda. Pandadina, um, Adam from uh, from Pasadena, he called in, so let's get to his call first here. Hi, Josh. This is Adam from Pasadena. I believe that today's Galaxy game against LAFC was one of our best games of the season as a whole. Our defense played well. Our midfield played really well, besides some lapses from Perry Kitchen. I believe that Sebastian Legette played phenomenal. I believe Ashley Cole played phenomenal on the left wing. I also believe that Rolf Fletcher played a very good game. I do believe that, you know, our defense made a mistake, uh, well, Perry Kitchen did on the penalty. Uh, but all in all, I have to say I'm content with the tie. believe that this game was ours to take once again. But for the first time in the three matches, uh, we were the team on the forefront and we were the team pressing, which was great to see and hope to see for the future thank you so much all right so i again i don't even think we need to comment i, I think no, he, hit he, a lot he of it. said what we've been saying I, I, I love it when that happens and you know sometimes yeah. i don't even listen to these calls beforehand sometimes they could be somebody who's you know completely off their rocker but no adam from uh, from pasadena you nailed it uh so uh kudos to you uh some audi index points for you as well there you go cha-ching we started handing out eric and i on thursday night started handing out audi uh, audi index points kevin for absolutely no reason whatsoever just like the real audi index points so we yeah, just, which are no reason either. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Uh, yeah. Now let's go to Alana uh, calling in, also talking about this LAFC game. Hey, Josh, this is Alana and Casey, and we're calling to say, where the heck has this team been all year? We're on our way home right now from the LAFC, LA Galaxy game, and I just cannot believe it. I totally expected Galaxy to lose, and I have to say I was wrong. I expected a tie vote. They did amazing. Ziggy must have really opened something in a can on this team because they played like they really wanted to be there. We love listening to you guys. Keep going. 
Bye. All right. So Alana and, and Casey there. I don't want to leave out Casey as well. So also talking again, um, hey, maybe maybe Siggy did ride these guys a little bit. Kevin, we know that Siggy Schmidt can can get a little upset with these players at times. And certainly after games, we've heard of uh, of him being a little more than uh, than than brisk with the guys uh, whenever it comes to uh, their performance on the field. Yeah, exactly. That's true. And this is the time of year when you can't just uh, uh, soft pedal anything. This is where the pedal hits the metal and whatever other, whatever other cliches you want to throw in there. Um, uh, this is where uh, it all comes together. And you sense some of the frustration of guys like Zalatan that uh, are, are, you know, a little bit tired of having to wait for everyone to catch up and get on the same page. The, uh, the uh, um, I don't want to say desperation, but certainly the um, – uh, this is the time when everyone has to get on the same page. Yeah, it seems that way. All right, final thing I want to get to before we're done. There was one rumor out there today that I would love to talk about. Uh, Emmanuel Obue, who's uh, 35, a former Arsenal defender, um, has been linked with the LA Galaxy, according to the Mirror and the Sun. Uh, the Mirror reporting on the Sun's original one, basically saying that uh, the LA Galaxy are set for a lifeline for Emmanuel Obue. Again, 35-year-old, former Arsenal defender, hasn't played pro football since May of 2014. He was banned by FIFA for a year for failing to pay his agent. Uh, he last played for Galatasaray, joined Sunderland, but never played because he failed a medical. Uh, scored 10 times. Actually, he failed a medical. Uh, he was ba- he didn't play for Sunderland because he got suspended for not paying his agent, and then he failed a medical whenever he was trying to go to another team. Uh, he did score 10 times in 214 appearances for Arsenal. Uh, again, originally reported by The Sun, I'm here to tell you there is absolutely nothing to this rumor. I reached out to uh, people close to the organization. I said, hey... Does this sound like something you would do? Because quite honestly, Kevin, the fact that he hasn't played since 2014 and that he's 35 and all these other things didn't completely dissuade me from believing there might be some truth to this uh, whenever it comes to the LA Galaxy and some of the decisions they made. But I am told there is no truth to this. You don't need to pay attention to it. I've tried my best to squash this, uh, but this is this is done. We don't have to talk about it anymore. No, I think we're, yeah, we're done. Okay, good. I, I didn't know if you had Let's anything else. Let's talk about Pato, though. Is Pato still coming? Uh, pa- Pato, no. No, Pato, although wouldn't that be awesome now, though, because then he could come on the podcast every week and replace you. Then it would be Pato uh, on no, Pato. No one, no one puts the panda in the corner. There is no panda coming to the podcast, but if Pato comes, it's Pato and Pato in the morning, and that is a, is a show I would listen to, uh, especially being I'm going to be on it. So uh, we'll see. Yeah, I'm, I'm holding no, that's my that's one I would duck. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow, Kevin. I didn't think, you know what? That deserves this. Panda and Pato in the morning. Yeah, I, I knew. I didn't know that was coming, but I got there in time just in case. All right, anything else, Kevin, you want to get to? Or are no, we, good? we need to use that more often. Do you think T-shirts I, are coming. The T-shirts are, should be actually, today is August 27th. I believe they're shipping out today. So you should get an email in the next couple of days telling you that your shirt, your Panda and Pato in the Morning shirt has shipped. And, of course, I can't wait to see uh, the next game where uh, Kevin says there's no way in H-E double hockey sticks he's wearing it to an LA Galaxy game. Um, so uh, I'll probably wear mine with a blazer. But, you know, hey, whatever. It's all good. That's a smart look right there. <laughs> it's something. That's for absolutely My sure. favorite colors are black and white. Black and I figured because you're a panda. That makes some sense. That's right. Uh, all right. Uh, Kevin, uh, anything else you want to get to or are we good? Uh, we're good. All right, good. Let's end this thing. All right. If you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter on Twitter, it's at KBaxter11. 
Uh, and please head on over to latimes.com for all of his soccer coverage, doing a great job covering both LAFC and the LA Galaxy, uh, really giving us all the inside information that we need to know here on the podcast so that way you can be smarter about your LA Galaxy. All right, if you're looking for me on Twitter, it's at jgesman, J-G-U-E-S-M-A-N, and of course, at Galaxy Podcast. Just go there and you can get that on Twitter, Facebook, Corner of the Galaxy, uh, iTunes, Corner of the Galaxy, SoundCloud, Corner of the Galaxy, anywhere else, pretty much. Cornerofthegalaxy.com is where, of course, you can find all of our written articles, all of our news reporting on the LA Galaxy to help you also with your LA Galaxy information. All right, that does it. LA Galaxy coming up, playing Real Salt Lake at Real Salt Lake, September 1st, 2018. That is a 7 p.m. kickoff time. Uh, We, of course, will have a live show on Thursday, so we will see you then. For Mr. Kevin Baxter, I'm Josh Gessman. You've been listening to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Have a great one, everybody. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy from the Box podcast on cornerofthegalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast. And be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. And for all of your independent LA Galaxy news, discussion, and entertainment, including this podcast, head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com. Fans, thanks for listening. We ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody.